you're listening to episode 10 of eight minute movies alienated a podcast talking about the 1979 movie alien in eight minute chunks presented by me kieran and him peter hello uh, how you doing there I'm doing well. I am uh, awake. I am raring to go. I'm I'm quite tired, actually, honestly. <laughs> uh, but not as tired as I was that time before. <laughs> you're, you're never gonna give, you're never gonna give that up, are you? Uh, listen to the last one. And you don't know what we're talking about. And also listen to the last one. This is a sequential podcast. You can't yeah, just tune in. <laughs> doesn't make much sense to jump in at this point. No, no. We- we are two-thirds of the way through this uphill slog. Um, <laughs> it's all downhill from here in every sense that that can possibly be meant. That's true. Um, how, how, have, how have you been doing, uh, you know, uh, poor podcast performance reviews aside? Um, I've been doing okay. Uh, as you know, I, I have a topic to bring to the yeah. first part of the podcast. Yeah, the uh, the audience has been on tenterhooks since last week to hear hear about crosswords. And, um, <laughs> I myself, I've never crossed a word. Um, so, wow me! Come on, bring bring your A game. Okay, so I I've never really liked crosswords as I understand them. Um, I find that the format feels a bit boring because it's a essentially you're filling in words in a grid and it's a bit like just a, a trivia game in a weird format. It felt like it, most of the ones that I'd seen. We're basically just testing your general knowledge, and uh, if you didn't know it, then you you can't get it. Maybe you'd be able to get clued in by some of the crosses, but uh, it it didn't feel like a very compelling format to me. But I did sort of wish that I understood at least how cryptic crosswords work. So uh, cryptic crosswords if you don't know which you might not if you are listening and uh say from the us where they're not very common uh it's a format where all of the clues kind of read like nonsense because they are giving a very kind of obscure and wordplay and sometimes like anagram based clue to the um to, to what the word is and there's a specific way that you're supposed to form clues for cryptic crosswords um in order to to give the answer and in theory that's something that's quite nice for me because i like kind of decoding clues and that sort of thing i i, I enjoy that as as i understand it there's like a a sort of highly codified language around the clues for cryptic crosswords so it'll be like uh they'll use the word twisted or jumbled and then you'll know that the actual clue it's like an anagram of um whatever they're trying to get you to point at yeah uh, the way it usually works and there are kind of exceptions to this but there's a, a one of the words or phrases in the, or part of the clue is what's known as the definition so that's just kind of the straight what the answer is in a way um uh and then there's some sort of indicator word often in the clue as well, which says this is the kind of 
thing that you have to do to solve this. Um, so, like you said, if it says like mixed up or something, then maybe somewhere it, there's an anagram in, in this clue, and then the rest of the clue is that like the cryptic part of the clue, where if you figure out what the the method of decoding it, you should come to an answer, which the kind of definition part of the clue will confirm to you that it, that you, you got it right because it will make sense. Um, and so, in theory, I quite like that, but I've always found them quite annoying. They've always felt a bit too obscure to me. I've never been able to d decode the clues. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just dedicate some time because I was bored to just really trying to figure out how these work. Um, and I started doing it just before going to bed. Um, and what I found was that it was just this amazing substitute to doing things like looking at Twitter before going to sleep. Doom scrolling. Right, yeah. Um, because what happens is, yeah, you look at the you look at Twitter, you see something interesting, then you end up going down this rabbit hole, or you see something terrible and you, you just end up going down this anger rabbit hole. Uh, and um, I found that I it was not a very kind of relaxing way to send myself to sleep. I'd start thinking about stuff and then I, I my brain would get all noisy and I'd just not want to sleep. Um, so what this does is instead completely occupy your mind with stuff that can it can't possibly matter. You're just kind of thinking about anagrams of weird phrases and uh, uh, and you're completely focused on trying to decode these quite obscure um, clues. And what I'd, So what I'd find is that after about 15 or 20 minutes of this, I'd put my phone down and go, you know what, I would rather sleep than carry on thinking about this nonsense and I'd be out you know, like a light within five minutes, uh, most nights. I'm I'm not sure this is like y y the resounding endorsement of them. You think you seem to think it is like <laughs> no, I'm, more. I'm, <laughs> I'm doing this thing, and and it, it it exhausts my brain so much that I just can't bear it anymore. Um, okay. <laughs> I know what you're saying, <laughs> but but I think that a lot of people will appreciate this idea of. I need something just to kind of send me to sleep that it that is not going to make me too angry because it doesn't matter. Um, and but but there's a bit more to this. Um, a num a couple of months after I first started doing this, um, a person called Chris Remo, who I don't know who you're aware of, but I am not. Uh, he is someone who used to write for a website called Idle Thumbs and do uh, the podcasts ah, as well, mm. um, and was for a while as well the community manager at Double Fine. Mm. Um, and what I didn't realize is that he's actually moved to London um, permanently, as far as I know. Um, I'm not exactly sure why, um, <laughs> but he has moved to London anyway, uh, and is apparently not doing what he used to do, which was um, work on... He was also part of a developer called Campo Santo who did uh, games like 
Firewatch, Firewatch. and yeah. then well, I think that was the only one actually in the end. And then <laughs> they were kind of absorbed by <laughs> Valve, never mm. to be heard of again. This is a thing that happens with Valve. Someone goes to work uh, work for Valve, and then you never hear from them again. So um, anyway, it seems <laughs> like Chris Remo got out and is now in London, <laughs> presumably because he had to flee the country. <laughs> and uh, and then uh, he apparently has just always done the New York Times crossword, which is not a cryptic co- crossword. It's uh, a different sort of crossword, which I'll talk about in a minute. But um, uh, But he's always done it. And he decided, I guess, just as a thing to do, to start streaming his solving of these crosswords on YouTube. And I don't know about you, but I'm quite a big fan of the just someone does a task that they're quite good at and has quite a soothing voice and describes what they're doing genre of videos on YouTube. Do you know what I mean? Um, let me interject here to say that um, I do know what you mean, and uh, and Big Clive is my guy. Do you know Big Clive? I don't know Big Big Clive. Who's Big Clive? So um, so Big Clive is um, an electrician um, mm-hmm. who, well, one of my favorite things that he does on YouTube is he 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 buys cheap tat cheap electric tat things from China right. uh, and dismantles them to explain how if you plug it in, it'll kill you. Um, right. Okay. And and he, he but he, he's he's got such a soothing brogue of a voice that um I mean you don't see him all you see is his hands like working on whatever he's um dismantling mm-hmm. but like uh, he, he's the closest to an ASMR voice uh, channel I guess I would listen to um but they're they're really interesting to watch as well so uh, he's yeah. he's got all your bases covered uh, Big Clive shout out to Big Clive um. Link are us you... back, Big Clive. How does this work? Um... <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, are you aware of the lockpicking lawyer? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, <laughs> with his strange lilt, um, <laughs> um, and and the way he digitally removes himself from the shiny bits of locks, so you can't see his face. <laughs> <laughs> wow, does he do that? I did not know. Yeah, that. no, that's that's a thing. <laughs> wow. Okay. Look at look in the comments. Uh, people are always pointing them out. Yeah, I didn't. I I never noticed that, but I, I will look out for that now. Um, so it's it's that sort of thing to me. He's just mm. kind of calmly going through the crossword, uh, talking about how he's getting these guesses and uh, and filling it out, and uh, it it was just quite a soothing thing to have on in the background while I'm at work or something. I don't know. Mm. Um, and uh. But after a while, it made me want to attempt this style of crossword that he was doing, uh, because it turns out, and this is something that I never knew before, um, US-style crosswords are quite different to UK-style crosswords. So if you think of a UK-style crossword, it's kind of a grid, and you've got lines going uh, uh, across and down and maybe they cross kind of every other letter there's a like a cross or something like that yeah i'm um, I'm, I'm familiar with the broad concept of crosswords yeah but the reason that i'm explaining like that is because that's not really the case with u.s style crosswords with a u.s style crossword there are crosses and downs but it's not just every other letter uh, it's every letter every single um 
square almost apart from a couple of blanks on the on the grid will have a cross almost every square um i think i've only ever seen one um one puzzle where there are what they call unchecked squares where there's a letter that you have to get on its own which doesn't have a cross in the other direction so it's all crosses and that means that they can do be a lot more kind of loose and creative with the sorts of clues that they're giving so you end up with something that's a kind of halfway between the um uh the kind of trivia style crossword which i didn't really like uh and the more obscure kind of cryptic crosswords mm. uh, which i do I, I sort of like now but are quite annoying and exhausting to do mm. um and uh so and they get quite creative with them so you have quite a lot of these crosswords will have a theme like a, a puzzle within the puzzle that you have to solve hmm. um and it's just there's more going on than what you would perhaps imagine might be in a crossword puzzle so i'm i'm not entirely sure i'm getting this so there aren't any sort of blank squares at all well, there there are a few, but um, the majority of uh, the grid is filled out with clues. So there there are a lot of clues hmm. in in each puzzle because um, it it's just if you look up the New York Times crossword, which is like like a classic one, uh, then you will see what the grid looks like, and it's it's different to what you maybe imagine a crossword grid looking like. Yeah, because I'm sort of imagining from your description it ending up looking more like a word search. Um, yeah, almost. There, there are a few blank spaces, but not many. Um, and it's uh, and the format of the New York Times one in, in in particular is that on Monday it starts out quite gentle and easy, and then it increases in difficulty every day uh, until the hardest one that you get is on Saturday. Where the clues are more obscure, it's just it, it's just more difficult overall to get. Um, and then on Sunday, they ratchet down the difficulty a bit again, but the grid is much bigger, so it's just a giant crossword, and it usually has some sort of clever theme going on in that one as well um, that that kind of adds to it in some way. And so it's kind of there's this kind of natural rhythm to them over the week that I've been really sort of enjoying getting into. But there are a couple of drawbacks, hmm. um, which is that it's sorry, US... sorry. Before you get into that, I'll just hmm. uh, I'll, I'll I'll edit it so you, so I'm not interrupting you. Uh, yeah, I've just looked up the New York Times crossword, and yeah, it does look quite different than um, what I would expect. I mean, it's just um, it is mostly grid uh, with yeah only like a dozen or so blank squares that's quite interesting yeah and and i quite like this because uh, even if you don't know an answer it's often quite easy to get from the crosses uh, and uh, so if you don't really like a trivia style question it's quite common that if you look in the other direction or you'd be able to get most of the letters uh, for it from uh, uh from less trivia type clues Mm. and uh and and then once you've unpicked it you might be able to guess the remaining letters 
Uh, and so it, it feels like it's more it's more of a puzzle in that way. It's less of a see how much you know. Um, but that said, there is a slight drawback to this style of puzzle. Oh, yeah? Is that it is a US um, crossword, and they are not shy about putting in very US-specific knowledge in there so there are a lot of clues which relate to u.s sports teams a lot of clues that uh relate to u.s politicians and just very some u.s centric things which you might know some of just because american culture just it's ubiquitous (laughs) right it just spreads over the world and some of it you just get Mm. um through osmosis eventually but um but there are, uh, I think it's fair to say there's a lot of stuff which is so specific that uh, I it just it just doesn't occur to me. And also, you got things like to think about like U.S. spellings and all of that that kind of business as well. Mm. Um, so um, it is arguably more difficult uh, to do as a non-American, and I do get tripped up by that a lot, mm. and need to look up some of the. Uh, uh, some of the answers when I get truly stuck, which is occasionally true, especially mm-hmm. towards the uh, latter part of the week. But on the whole, I like them, and I really wish that this style of it was more common over here because it it's completely kind of changed my view of what a crossword could be. They mm. they. These are often like they're done creatively. They've got some sort of really creative gimmick to them, or they uh, have like cheeky clues with a lot of wordplay in them and that sort of thing. And uh, uh, and it's if if you like words, like if you like language, it they're quite fun to think around mm. in a way that I've never really associated before with crosswords. I think I had probably exactly the same attitude to you thinking about what a crossword was just kind of a boring sort of word puzzle that isn't that interesting to solve yeah i mean what i've i've done you know i'm cool original i'm thinking of i don't know why whatever whatever the non-cryptic style is called trivia i guess Mm. um and they're, they're fine but a lot of the time it's like what sports person did this and i'm like who knows <laughs> yeah and as i say you you definitely get that in these crosswords mm. but uh i would say more than half the time it's possible to to get around it by uh by working on the the, the crosses sometimes you get a little knot of uh answers which you're just not getting because mm. they've got very specific uh pieces of trivia in a corner there was one the other day that just made me furious because of the number of names it expects expected me to know and uh, uh i just wasn't getting it and um i kept on uh, writing tweets to the person that set that crossword uh, yeah. on on twitter and then deleting the tweet <laughs> <laughs> before sending it Wow, furious! Um. Yeah, I was like, I need to. I, 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 I just needed to get it out of my system. You know, I was just so annoyed by some of these clues, um, yeah. because generally, because uh, I don't. The thing I like about these US style ones is that they aren't reliant on trivia. But this one was like, oh well, 
come on, like, 30 of these clues need me to either know someone's name or, like, a very specific brand name that we maybe don't have over here, or uh, some government agency or something mm. like that. And uh, and it was just getting right up, <laughs> right on my nerves. That was a Thursday puzzle, that one. Um... <laughs> um, going back to my history with crosswords, um, yeah. uh, cryptic, of course, being the other one, um, and I, I just don't think I ever had a good experience with them because mm. everyone, well, my sister and my mum are really good at cryptic crosswords, huh. uh, and and do them all the time, like, um, and uh, they were never really any good at explaining to me the fact. Because I always, I always approached them like it was some sort of challenge, right? That you had to figure out from first principles what each individual clue was talking about. But it's not. Like I said earlier, there's this sort of like codified language that it, it basically points you to what you should be looking for. Yeah. Um, but no one ever explained that to me. <laughs> no, you, you, so, need, you, you need to know the system, and even then it's hard, yeah. Yeah, but without, without that key, like they might as well have been written in Sanskrit or something. You know? Yeah, they're complete <laughs> nonsense, and uh, and that's what makes them great for um, sleeping, because they, they, uh, you're just staring at these words that don't really mean anything, um, and trying to make something of them and after a while you're just like okay i'm done sleep time now and (laughs) (laughs) um the other kind of crossword that my mom quite likes um are called skeleton crosswords um have you heard of those i am not aware of skeleton crosswords go on right so so what you arrive with is a completely blank grid like it's just literally white blocks um and everything like that and they're numbered i think um and you have to start solving clues in order to figure out where the black you know the crossed out square should go so so you have to you are building the puzzle as you solve it. It's like a, an extra level of crossword complexity on top of regular crosswords. Hmm. I'll I'll send you one. Actually, I've got about a million of them downloaded because um, I have to print them for her. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so send me one. I'll see how I get on with it. Yeah, I, I, I have no idea whether that I'll be good at that or not. <laughs> are they cryptic as well? Um, I don't know because of course i i haven't bothered because uh generally if you say something's got crosswords in it i'm in a different state um, right. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we we'll, i'll send you it and you can you can report back next time on on your on your progress that'll be your homework <laughs> yeah and, and i guess you, your homework might be just because you you enjoy this genre of video anyway check out chris remo's crossword videos <laughs> you you may think nothing of them and just carry on watching the videos or stop watching them or whatever but you might find as i, th- I think quite a few people watching these um have found I think I could do that and just end up giving one a go. The only problem is, uh, apart from the US-centric nature of it, is that uh, any good crossword i found uh, so far, you need to subscribe to. Mm. So I have paid money to have access to the New York Times crosswords. because oh, sinful omission. Uh, because... If you try and just go to any old website that claims that it has crosswords, 
you're probably going to have a worse time because actually researching and setting and like editing good crosswords is a full-time job that someone needs money for it turns out they're really hard to make (laughs) (laughs) i've tried in the past to uh after i started thinking about um uh cryptic crosswords to to make them and it's very very difficult to find something that's going to fit in a grid in that way even when you're just doing every trying to fit every other letter like a uk style crossword um coming up with the clues itself quite kind of easy actually even with cryptics uh it's not that hard to come up with a good cryptic clue really um but uh but yeah coming up uh with the actual grid is a real trick and there are all these kind of little bits of shorthand that you that, mm. that, that you pick up as you start solving these crosswords like words that don't come up very often uh in life but come off come up all the time in crosswords because they're like really useful like three letter mm. words that you can uh, fit into crosses and things like the number of time that ode has been an answer <laughs> in the last few weeks has been probably like uh, there'd been eight or nine odes in the last uh, few weeks it's just uh, one of those words that comes up all the time there are lots of similar examples to that because i guess they just have these this bank of useful words mm. that they can use in crosses that have common letters in them that are going to uh, fill a particular spot. It's still a a bit of a mysterious art to me how you construct these things, but it, it feels like it's impressive. Yeah, yeah, it seems interesting to me. It seems like they would be harder to do the American style because you just have such a dense network of letters. That you're you're constantly having to come up with new new words to join them all together. Yeah, and that's why they're, they're a lot more flexible with the sorts of things that can be answers in crosswords. So a lot of time there's kind of a clue in in the clue itself that that what you have to put in is an abbreviation. And mm. sometimes uh, there's a clue that what you're actually looking to put in is a small phrase rather than a a, mm. a word. They never tell you, like in regular UK style crosswords, where you see the answer split out into, say, it's like two, four, with so you know it's a, a two-letter word and then a four-letter word. They don't give you that information mm. in, in in these. Uh, so from that perspective, it's a bit harder. But um, uh, but yeah, it can be. That there are answers that are a bit slangy, answers that are abbreviations in some way, answers that are um, just weird in ways that you don't tend to get in uh, in UK style crosswords. Because I guess they are trying to fill this grid, and so sometimes the only thing that you can fill the grid with is something a little bit weird, like an abbreviation of some mm. sort, or, um, or or some sort of strange slang word, or a foreign word. Quite a lot of foreign words end up in in, in there as well. This um this does seem to me like a thing that computers would be very good at laying yeah. out the grid. Uh, so there are computer assisting tools uh, to help with this now as well. I don't know what they used to do before that was a possibility. I guess suffer. Was- <laughs> yeah, but uh, now you can just search on a database saying uh, 
I need a word at the the uh, third, fourth, and fifth letters have to be E H and D. Give me a give me something, and maybe even give me a appropriate clue for that. There's just databases of these things that you can reach for if you want. But I think the general process of the the setter is to to start by not doing that, and then only reach for the kind of bank of clues if if they if they need something <laughs> to fill a specific space. Ah, uh, for reasons of honor. Yeah, and I think just because also something that you quite often get is um, a kind of little sub-themes within a crossword, so you'll notice that this particular crossword has a lot of words with the same combination of three letters scattered mm. around it or something like that, and uh, uh, or there's like a, a number of crosses of, of words that kind of are related to each other and, uh, and, and that sort of thing, so they're trying to make a... Uh, they're trying to put little, I guess, little Easter eggs into the puzzle as well that make them feel a bit more crafted rather than just kind of AI generated, I hmm. guess. Well, you realize you've painted yourself into a corner here now because um, I've got the New York Times crossword here and uh, I'm going to ask you some of the clues and you're going you're gonna to solve it live. Uh, you have the New York Times crossword. Uh, mm. n- now, is it today's? No. What is it? Is it? Have you just gone to a random date? Uh, yeah, it's Tuesday, June the sixteenth, twenty fifteen. Okay, Tuesday. So that's that's not too bad. Mm. Um, that's just a little bit more difficult than uh, the regular one. Uh, the only problem with this is that I don't usually do it over audio. I can usually see what I'm looking at. Yeah, yeah. I th- I th- <laughs> well, you know, you know, you you you're the the self-proclaimed king of crosswords now i don't think I can. <laughs> right. so the other thing is the, the other thing i forgot to mention is that i'm still a little bit bad at these and <laughs> i'm constantly frustrated by the fact that especially after wednesday or so chris remo is solving these puzzles maybe two to three times faster than i'm solving them <laughs> while also giving a running commentary and explaining his working and occasionally just <laughs> stopping to talk about something. It's infuriating. See, I, I feel like you're doing all this talking so that you can look up the crossword. Um. <laughs> <laughs> all right, g- give, me the, uh, give me the clue. All right, um, let's start you with an easy one. Seven mm-hmm. down, four letters. Throw away part of an apple. Cool. All right. Uh, it doesn't tell me whether it's right or not. So, um, what what is the point of doing this? Uh, um, <laughs> you can't. You you're gonna break your streak by doing it. I think, but you can turn on. There's a menu option somewhere to turn on auto check, um, so that it will automatically tell you if you got it right or not. But I don't tend to use that. Hey, hey, what do you know? Core was correct. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, thirty-three down, three letters. University wall covering. Um, three letters. Mm, yeah, university wall covering. I don't see that one immediately. Okay. Um, about thirty-eight down. What is it? Eight letters. Prankster's weapon. Um, eight letters. Uh, th- my mean my initial thought would have been 
slingshot, but I think that's nine letters. What's uh, another name for it? What's another name for a slingshot? Uh, I feel like it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, see, what I will usually do, my process, um, is if I'm not seeing the answer straight away, I will just mm. move on. Uh, and by the time that I've done this across the whole grid, I will have a number of clues provided to me by the the ones that I filled in. Right, uh, I'll have a number of letters. Uh, I, I, out. Yeah, we we understand that, that this is this is asking you to do it under unusual pressure. <laughs> yeah, I, I and I can't see it. It's very difficult when I can't see it. <laughs> if I can't visualize it in front of me, it's it's very odd. Um, uh, it was it was catapult. Catapult. Thank you. Mm, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's do a couple more before we get bored of the section. Um, six letters. Ballpark offering. Um, does it have a question mark in it? No. Okay. If it has a question mark in it, and this is true for cryptics as well, it means that they're being a little bit cheeky, and there's maybe some kind of weird pun or wordplay involved. Mm. Um, ballpark offering. Um, and how many letters? Sorry. Six. Six letters. Uh, oh, it's probably something like um, hot dog or something like that. <laughs> yes, it was hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Um all right we got we got two more for you. Okay. Um blank disturb five letters. Uh do not. Yeah, well done. I thought I thought you'd appreciate an easy one. Okay. What's the what's the last one? And and the final one cuz uh, I was looking and I was like what three letters its head is in a bucket often. Hmm. Um head is in a bucket. You could sort of Put a tr- drunk person's head in a in a bucket, I guess, uh, or uh, or they could do that to throw up. Sometimes a, a, one of these words that comes up sometimes in crosswords is sot. No, um, so it's going for something else. Hmm. Its head is in a bucket. Oh, um, so it's maybe not a person, and its head is in a bucket. Um, I think this is the hardest one in the list. Um, what what I should do is just keep on thinking about this one through our ensuing conversation about Alien. Oh, all right. Uh, and so that I won't be listening to you properly, and instead okay. I'll be thinking about what this clue. Uh, well, no change there then. <laughs> head, head is in a bucket. Um. <laughs> What do you put? Ah, mop. Yes, well done, well yeah. done. I'm very pleased. Uh. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. I I think you did very well there, uh, especially since we we put you entirely on the spot. <laughs> yeah. So you see, like the like with that clue, the the clues are just a little bit playful, and you have to think a bit about what it what it might mean. It's maybe not the obvious sense of the word. Hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, so. I, I, I kind of like that about them. Hmm. Well, that's definitely, definitely, definitely enough talking about crosswords uh, for one day. Um... All right. I'm yeah. glad I got to talk about it because, um, yeah, as I say, it, it's it's not something that I ever would have predicted I would be interested in getting into in any way, but hmm. I, I, I found myself kind of pleasantly surprised by these 
speaking of puzzles, um, what I've been up to recently is... Oh, yeah. um, uh, oh actually, I'm going to circle back to this because uh, there's something I need to say here um, uh, about crosswords. Uh, well, anyway, you say that you're using crosswords to help you sleep. And mm-hmm. um, Kieran's advice for sleep is uh, get yourself all all cozy, turn off all the lights, and then um, then buy yourself an audiobook from our sponsor for this episode, Audible. Um, um, what, what? Now, I don't think, unless there's something that you are not telling me, they have sponsored this episode. Um, um, how does sponsorship work? Because I just assumed that you just said something and then you asked for money. Is that uh, is that not how it works? I don't think you just say you're sponsored and then they have to give you money. Uh, I, I I feel like that's mm. that's backwards. Uh, do you think I can get them on the phone um, and ask um, if they'll give us some money for this podcast? I I mean I I certainly think you can try. Uh, we have we have listener figures. They're not they're not very high. <laughs> yeah. But they certainly exist. Um, well, um I'm sure they'll be very attracted by our low listener figures. Yeah. <laughs> well well uh, okay, so so it isn't sponsored because they won't give me any money, but, but I, I do listen to a lot of audi- audible audiobooks. Um and I that that that's how I get to sleep. I mm. um I, I make it nice and dark. Uh, I put on the audiobook that I'm listening to at the moment, and I, and I set the sleep timer on it. And then, fifteen minutes later, it goes to sleep, and um, it it works. I I almost always drift off to sleep listening to this, and it it silences the terrifying voices in my mind just long enough mm. <laughs> that I can fall asleep. Um. I, I know people who listen to new audiobooks that like books they haven't read or heard before when they're using audiobooks to sleep, and I cannot do that because if it's if it's something new or something exciting, um, it will hold my attention the, <laughs> the entire time through. And and I do listen to new audiobooks. Uh, I, I I listen to audiobooks where I haven't necessarily read uh, read the book first. I enjoy hmm. uh, enjoy reading books in that format. Uh, I just seem to. Uh, take it in better a lot of the time because I, I'm, I'm a bit of a skimmer when I read and I uh, find that I it, it's easier, as long as I'm engaged, to pay attention when I'm uh, listening to an audio book than it is for me to, when I'm reading, I'll end up just kind of skimming and getting the gist and not even really realizing that I'm doing it until mm. I look back over the last couple of pages and notice that there are loads of details in the last couple of pages that I wasn't even paying any attention to. Uh, but I agree, I wouldn't do that going to sleep for the first time mm. because I would be worried about um, missing stuff. Like even last, e- even last night, uh, for a change, I actually put on some audio before going to uh, to sleep, but it was a a podcast that mm. I hadn't listened to before. And even then, I I put it on a sleep timer for about uh, twenty minutes because I didn't want to miss too much of the podcast. And <laughs> if I knew I was falling asleep, I know I'd just have no idea where I was when I picked up the the book again. It's it's interesting. It's sort of the other way around for me because I, I get into it and I just cannot like stop listening to it. So I I, I stay awake. My brain won't mm. let me go to sleep. Um, 
my favorite sleep audio book i'm not going to call it a bedtime story uh, <laughs> despite that clearly being what it is um is the martian um by andy weir uh they there was an original version of the audiobook that came out um i think in 2015 um narrated by rc bray and he just does such he blows it away it's really 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 good audiobook um it's actually not available anymore because um podium publishing lost the license to it which means audible lost the license to it so if you don't have that audiobook uh, i guess you can never have it so sorry <laughs> um but if you if you have already bought it off audible you can still re-download it from them they keep the they have a license to download them forever i guess it's just not enlisted in their catalog anymore right um and it's it's just such a good thing and but because i know it so well i've i must have heard the story a hundred times now mm-hmm. more probably um i can always just listen to him talking and it's like what you were saying about the crosswords it's just a, something soothing to listen to and you go to sleep yeah. um there is a little downside to using the book though there are three or four really exciting bits and if i'm in those bits when if it starts playing and it's one of those bits i have to skip through it um because I can't, I, if I lie there listening to it, I'll listen to the exciting bit where he gets rescued or, uh, spoilers, or the, um, you know, the, the bit where the hab explodes. <laughs> yeah. And I just don't go to sleep. <laughs> I, I, I think this approach to sleep really works for you anyway, because mm. I, I feel like you are the sort of person who is a big, I, I don't know how. How what the over the kind of umbrella term for this would be, but you like to rewatch things, replay mm. things, reread things. You do that quite a lot. Like mm. so, you as we've talked about before, you watch the thing hmm. a whole lot. I um, do. You, you. When was the last time you watched the thing? Uh, last Sunday. Right, yeah. So very recently, like you, you might think if, if you're listening, like even if something is one of your favorite films, it might be some time since you watched it because you know it very well. You don't, you don't need to watch it all the time. Uh, but you, I feel like as a person, you you enjoy watching mm. uh, or reading or listening to things uh, uh, over and over again, which is not, nothing wrong with that. It's just a, a different a, approach to how I. Uh, tend to approach things most of the time i will play a game once and i'm unlikely to uh, to touch it again at least for a number of years hmm. uh, or i'll read a book once and i won't read it again for a long time if at all even if i really enjoyed it um and films, obviously, occasionally it doesn't take long to get through a film. So you'll, I'll occasionally rewatch a film that I enjoy. But even something that I would say is one of my favorite films, like Back to the Future, I won't. I, there must have been some years where I never, I didn't watch that. You know, um, presumably the ones between your birth and it being released. Um, well, there aren't many of those, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but, um, uh, but yeah. The, but also, since then, definitely, uh, there have been long stretches where I haven't gone back to it. Thought about it occasionally, but n- haven't actually done it. I'm just not a very avid r- 
this is a terrible word, but I'm going to go with it for now because I can't think of a better one. Reconsumer of things. Mm. Um, oh, yes. Tints of coprophagy. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe workshop that one a bit more during this podcast. <laughs> um, I do I do know what you mean, though. Um, it's an interesting thing to me because um, it came up quite recently on Twitter, right? And I did a little poll, and I got sort of split 50-50 answers between people who like uh, reabsorbing media, like, you know, rereading books, mm -hmm. like re-listening to albums, re-watching TV and film shows that you've enjoyed, and people who are just like, no, I must always seek out a new thing to slick my content first. Mm. Um, and it came out about 50-50 on people who rewatch and people who don't rewatch. Um, and the thing that set all this off, and my curiosity about it, was uh, there was one of those meme images going around on Twitter, and it, it was like, post post a GIF from a film that you've seen five times, and I was like, five whole times, wow! <laughs> yeah. Like, I there are films that I fucking despise that I have seen five times. Five times is an absurdly low threshold. <laughs> yeah, I, but and and yet, if you asked me to. Uh name films that I've seen five times, it would have to be either stuff that I just watched a lot as a small child mm. because that was what was available on yes. the VHS tapes. <laughs> like, uh, or it would be uh, or it would be my absolute favourite thing. So yeah, I've mm. definitely seen Back to the Future in my life a lot more than five times. But probably I'm going to go out on a limb and say I might not have seen it 50 times. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's it's just such a weird thing to me because I was looking at it. I was, I was like, right, okay, uh, I've seen Prometheus, a film I really don't like at least five times. Um, I've seen uh, I've seen Alien and The Thing and Aliens collectively. I would say probably... It's got to be in the high hundreds. It's got to be in, like, you know, if you add them all up, like all three movies, it's probably a thousand times between them. <laughs> mm. I'm sure. like, and that, that doesn't feel weird to me. I enjoy them. Watching them makes me happy. Why? <laughs> why, why is re watching them such an apparently so unusual? <laughs> well, uh, and I think the reason actually is that, um, there is for some people, uh, and I guess not for everyone, the law of diminishing returns is mm. much stronger. Yeah. Uh, so even with a film that I really love, like Back to the Future, uh, I will not watch it too often because I'll I, I will get bored of, of it after a while. I will mm. tire of uh, of seeing it after a while, and then I need to kind of spend some time away from it, recharge those batteries a bit, and then I'll watch it and I will enjoy it again. Mm. Um, and But there is a little cheap method for replenishing uh, your enjoyment of this, which I have discovered uh, in recent years. Oh, yeah. I think explains the popularity on YouTube and things like that of reaction videos now. Mm. Um, which is that if you watch something that you really like with someone who hasn't seen it before, mm. it 
suddenly feels a little bit like watching it for the first time again because and it's the same with like listening to music and things like that uh, for some reason when you do this you are watching it differently you're mm. watching it from it in a kind of empathetic way uh with the other person that or people that you're with in mind uh so that it it becomes easier to notice all of the things that you've kind of taken for granted uh, about that piece of me- media and i think that explains why sometimes i in kind of my idle moments i will find myself drifting towards a reaction channel you know i find someone mm. who i don't find too annoying reacting to, uh, to something on on youtube and uh, just uh enjoy their responses to something that i'm quite familiar with mm. uh, i do that sometimes with um uh with let's plays of games i like watching the ones where they haven't played it before much more than i in- enjoy watching the ones where they have done blind plays of games are pretty good yeah uh, and it's just because you just get that little flavor of playing it for the first time that you can you can you can never do that again but you can mm. sort of access someone else's experiences of that is, is it's a little uh uh, it's a little way of getting a, a a sense of what it was like to to play it or watch it for the first time again. Should we um, mention that that's sort of the concept of this podcast? Uh, yeah, why not? Let's we, we could we, we could get on topic. We could... <laughs> um, well, that, that feels like a little a little touching of on topic because I still want to talk about. Um, my thing that I've been doing recently. Yes. <laughs> um, I have been playing a game called We Were Here Together. And um, I know that you know that I've been playing that game because I was playing it with you. You were playing it with me because it is a co-op only game. Two-player online co-op. Um, and um, we're not going to go too much into this. Uh, it, it's... It, it, I, l- I like the setup of the game, obviously, because it's set in a sort of creepy Antarctic base, and <laughs> hey, the thing and all that, you know, let's not mm-hmm. get into that. Um, but it's a puzzle game, and um, as we were talk- playing it and talking about it last night, uh, you-, you said something quite funny about um, about the realism of the puzzles involved. <laughs> right, yeah, so I, I was not quite pre- prepared for how much of a gamey game it was in in, in in the sense of well for example quite early on in the game there is this sequence where you are trying to get into a uh, a mine mm. uh, and the way that you have to do this is by off- operating these series of elevators <laughs> and um the but pairs of elevators which have symbols on them are connected to each other so when one elevator goes up the other corresponding elevator goes down and so the way that you're supposed to solve this is to be in separate parts of this elevator system making each other go up and down in a specific way so that you can navigate this kind of elevator maze to get to the (laughs) entrance in um what I would call a system that would 
cause every single worker at that base to quit immediately. <laughs> I just I just like the idea that the miners turn up like first thing in the morning. They spend a solid seven hours getting into the mine. Then yeah. they have to have to mine as quickly as possible for half an hour, and then the day's over. Um. Yeah, and they change the <laughs> elevator puzzle every day. Um. <laughs> no memorizing it, and yeah. of course, and of course, because there are only two of them, it only lets two people in at a time. Um. <laughs> right? Yes, of course. Um, so it's very. It's it's not presented to be. It's definitely got a, it's got a story to it that you're supposed to be following, um, uh, but it's uh, I guess not in a way that particularly bothers me, but it is slightly at odds with it, the way that the puzzles work, which are in no way something that you would encounter in life. <laughs> um, yeah, video games taught me that I'd be using colored key cards a lot more often than in fact i have in real life yeah i mean even uh, right at the beginning of the game before you've really got into the puzzles the first thing that you have to do is find a series of cranks which are all shaped in a slightly different way <laughs> that only work on one particular door uh, and uh, for some reason are scattered in unusual places throughout your base that apparently you work at, um, <laughs> in order to uh, in order to get to the places that you need to go in order to, to to reach that mine area that we were talking about. So, so it's a it's the the framing of the puzzles is a bit unusual. But if you kind of uh, suspend your disbelief a bit and just accept that it's going to be that kind of game. It was been quite enjoyable so far. Very tricky, but quite enjoyable. See, I, I quite like that first puzzle with the the various cranks because it reminded me of the uh, the rooster key bullshit from Resident Evil Two. Right. Um, <laughs> and one of my favorite things recently is them having to retcon this and come up with a justification for how fucking insane the um the locking system is in the police station by explaining it away that it used to be an art museum, which explains all the art everywhere <laughs> as well. Um, and it was built by someone who was a bit loony. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Right, because uh, when, back when these games were made, you could uh, people ac accepted that there was going to be the, these just kind of ridiculous pockets of <laughs> logic in games, because that's just what games did. They weren't expected that the the playing of it was not really supposed to feel like real life in any way i guess but as storytelling in games has just got got a little bit more sophisticated and the uh it's become less kind of fashionable to have this disconnect between uh the play and uh, and the telling of the story um it sticks out. It really sticks out when there's a, when there's a kind of disconnect between those two things. <laughs> uh, and so I'm not surprised. I haven't played the, the new remasters of the Resident Evil games, but it doesn't surprise me that they did something to just <laughs> make that a bit more... Uh, make the player buy into that a bit more. Um, well, okay, we're about an hour into this hour-long podcast talking about 
Alien, and we haven't started talking about Alien yet. Uh, mm. So, um, should we introduce the concept? Uh, this is a podcast. Maybe we should... The executive decision, maybe we should bump the concept up to the head of the podcast before we talk about other shit for an hour. <laughs> um, all right. I, uh, I, I like that. Um, so Cause then we could also mention that also we're going to ramble on about some random shit for probably yeah. up to an hour before we actually <laughs> get to Alien. So the concept of this podcast that you're now a solid hour into um is that we are going to talk about the movie Alien. We've cut it up into little eight-minute chunks. Uh, why eight minutes? Because it was a number that I liked. Um, and we're going to watch it and talk about those bits. I've seen Alien a lot, as we mentioned <laughs> just before now. Mm-hmm. Um, and Peter has seen it. Have you seen it five times, Peter? Um, I am not confident that I have properly watched it five times. Mm. But I think I've probably at least had it on in the background up to five times in, yeah, the, f- in the past. I feel like I've dragged you to the cinema to see it at least twice. Yeah, I think I've done that twice. I think I've watched it at your house properly once and probably watched it in the background a couple more times as well. Mm. And actually, that is why this part of the film is a bit fuzzier to me because when I just have it on in the background, this is probably the part of the film where I start switching off a little bit and uh, paying attention to other things, which is counterintuitive maybe because it's getting quite exciting at this point. But 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 you've just just had two killings, you know, you you, you can wind down for a bit. Yeah, I'm really all in it for for the chest bursting. Once that's Mm. happened, I I just, just tune out. (laughs) <laughs> I don't I care did, what happens to anyone else I did say it was all downhill from here <laughs> uh, so this is the part of the podcast that's called Let's Not Talk About The Thing um, where I will talk about something that's kind of related to Alien but may not be directly from the film maybe it's the extended universe maybe it's the novels, who knows what is it Peter? Um, I don't know because you come up with this and I am not informed what it's going to be in advance. So genuinely, what do you have for us this time? I'm going to talk to you about alien isolation. Ah, Mm. now this is something that I know you are a big fan of. Yes. um, Although, to be honest, you can slap the alien logo on almost anything and I'll buy it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I I do like alien isolation a lot. I think it's fair to say there have been better and worse alien games. Oh, oh boy, yes. <laughs> uh, and this is one that is maybe still a little bit divisive. I know it's not universally mm. popular, but uh, it has its fans, and you are one of them. Mm. So, um, just to get back to basic concepts, then Alien Isolation is a 2014 survival horror video game developed by Creative Assembly and published by Sega. The game is set 15 years after the events of the 1979 film Alien and follows engineer Amanda Ripley, daughter of alien protagonist Ellen Ripley, as she investigates the disappearance of her mother. So um, Amanda Ripley isn't mentioned in Alien at all, but um, she is mentioned in Aliens in the extended cut that Mm. many people have. It's called the special edition, but it's what most people have seen. 
she's Ripley's daughter, um, and she dies of old age at the age of sixty-seven or something like that. Um, somewhere on Earth, and Ripley doesn't never gets to see her again because she was away from Earth for so long. Right. We've sort of spoiled the ending of the movie Alien there, but I think we've said time and time again, this isn't a watch-along podcast. You should have seen the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um. So Amanda goes with some people from Wayland Jutani to um, a, a Freeport space station called Sevastopol, which is run by a different company called Siegson. And uh, they go there because a ship has found the Nostromo's flight recorder unit and brought it to Siegson. But by the time they arrive at Sevastopol, um, everything has gone wrong and um, they can't dock because the the space dock is damaged. So they, they do a spacewalk across to get on board. And as they do the spacewalk, they're all separated and Amanda ends up wandering the ship alone. So... Um... That's the setup, and I have seen this game being played uh, occasionally by you, uh, and just online uh, mm. a little bit. I think the game looks very cool. I would not play it myself, but mainly because I think it would stress me the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it is a very sweaty palms game, and um, one of my notes here is uh, it's one of my favorite games, but I've only ever played it once. Um, so this I've, goes against your your general yeah, yeah. doing things I, a lot of times. I have actually watched a lot of people play it. Like mm. I, I tend to, I tend to seek out new blind plays of it and, and watch them because it's it's funny when they do the screams. Um, this is this is all great. We're bringing it right back around. It turns out yeah. the stuff we were talking about before was extremely relevant to us. This is this topic. is fantastic. I don't have to do any editing today at all. Mm. Uh, yeah, I played it once on hard all the way through, and then a couple of times I've sort of picked it. I've got like a level or two in and then i'm like oh what do you know i've got something else to do <laughs> it's it's not that i'm scared i'm just busy yeah and it's not a lot of times it's not the scare factor of games mm. although i imagine this game would be quite scary to play uh but it's just the it's more the stress of it i mean we were talking uh the uh a, a couple of episodes ago about um Barrow Trauma, uh, yeah. a game which I, I do like the idea of in concept, but the couple of times that I played it, I found just really stressful to play. And I don't like, I, I feel like if it was a single player game, I'd just uh, maybe deal with it a bit more. But uh, in that kind of multiplayer setting, uh, I, I don't want to be that stressed out with other people around me as well i mm. guess uh in this one i i would make i think i'd just have to be in the right mood to be uh, yeah uh, to, to to play this to really kind of want to be that stressed out by this game and just really take my time with it <laughs> so um carry on with my description um Unlike previous game adaptations of the Alien franchise, Alien Isolation places an emphasis on stealth and survival horror gameplay, requiring the player to avoid and outsmart a single alien creature with tools such as a motion tracker and a flamethrower. It was designed to resemble the original film rather than its more action-oriented 1986 sequel Aliens and features a similar lo-fi 1970s vision of what the future would look like. Mm. Um, I actually know um, a thing... Uh, that Creative Assembly did while they were making this was sort of ban... Ding. ding. Uh, sorry, I've got a ding. <laughs> Go find the bell. Uh, ding. 
I know a segment that Creative Assembly did while um, uh, making this was to ban the, stu- the members of the studio from watching the film Aliens. Um, mm. Because it's got such a different aesthetic than the than the original film, or like the design team, um, and they actually had Alien on a loop in the studio on a monitor, mm-hmm. so it was just playing the movie over and over again, just so they could sort of soak in it all the time. I don't know whether I like that or not. That just feels like it could just become slightly maddening after a while. <laughs> I wonder if uh, I wonder if they've seen it uh, more than a hundred times. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um. It was originally designed as a third-person game, but they found first-person was much more intense, so they switched to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can see that. You, it, you don't see immediately if there's something behind you, even though you, you don't have a lot of view behind you in a third person mm. game it feels like you're a bit more aware of your surroundings doesn't it yeah yeah uh well i, I think when you're in a third person game it's quite clear it's not you um it's mm-hmm. it's someone else but if you're first person then it's it's whatever it is is happening to you and you know despite mm. the fact that the character's female or whatever and like they have different skin tone or whatever to you it like you have become that person by yeah. putting you in their point of view sure um Alien Isolation received generally positive reviews and had sold over 2 million copies in 2015. Um, critics praised the game's retro-futuristic art direction, sound design, and the alien's artificial intelligence, but criticized its characters and length. The game won several year-end awards, including Best Audio at the Game Developer's Choice Awards and Audio Achievement of the 2015 BAFTA Awards. Um, yeah, it always seemed like it was really well put together in the way that it evoked the the look and the sounds of oh yeah uh, the uh, the film that we're watching at the moment. It's it's actually like being there. It's great. Like some um, sometimes when playing it, I wish there was a a way to turn off the alien and just bask. You know what I mean? Just to um, be in the environment that they've provided for you. Yeah, and and even though I've said in the past that I. Generally speaking, uh, Aliens has been the film that I've enjoyed more. Um, I do appreciate them going for this original mm. Alien sort of idea because it feels like a much better, um, not not better, a much trickier design challenge mm. uh, to make a single monster be that threatening throughout the course. And And there are other games that have tried that. I feel like... Resident Evil Three is a yeah. Game you're thinking of the that? Nemesis, yeah, yeah. But this is, uh, I think, the approach here is a bit different to that. Mm. Uh, the only other enemy, I guess, that, that kind of matches that is um, in Dead Space. There's a there's a, a necromorph that you can't kill that chases you oh, throughout yeah. one of the levels, and you have to like trap it and freeze it in some sort of science ice cube. <laughs> And actually, weirdly enough, in the new Ratchet and Clank game, they have a segment where <laughs> there is a monster that you can't kill that uh, uh, stalks you. Um, uh, Ratchet is Isaac Clark confirmed. They're both engineers, actually. Um, True. Shit. Uh, oh, and the seg- game's about going through dimensions. Just have we just attached? like the Dead Space universe and the Ratchet and Clank universe. <laughs> <laughs> they're definitely um they definitely seemed to be going uh, <laughs> for a sort of we're going to 
slightly do a horror section, but in a way that will still be fine for kids, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sort of thing in the latest Ratchet and Clank. Oh damn you! I want to check this out even more now. I, I hope I, I hope I get a PS5 before the heat death of the universe. <laughs> um, alien isolation again. The alien AI, which is quite hard to say. The alien AI is very interesting as it works as two separate systems. Um, one which acts as an overall director, which knows where the player is, and one which is attached to the alien itself and doesn't know where the player is. Uh, but it gives it a couple of sensory cones so that it can see things in front of it, hear things near it, and sense things that touch it. Mm. The governor system keeps the alien in the general area of the player, so like periodically it'll let you rest, but then occasionally it'll nudge the alien back in your general direction. But crucially, it won't pass on exactly where it is. The alien has to find you. Right. Um, there's a number of little noises the alien makes, and there's definitely hisses, which mean, ah, I've seen you. Uh, and hearing those when you think you're hidden is uh, terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, you can hide from the alien in lockers and under desks and things. Um, and uh, on higher difficulties, it will open lockers and things looking for you, which is a bit, <laughs> <laughs> especially if you make a slight noise. Um, uh, a fun, th- a f- another fun thing from the like makers of the game. Um, early on, like they added a debugging feature to the alien, where um, instead of using these hisses and stuff, uh, it would just say out loud using one of the developers' voices what it was doing. Uh, <laughs> so it would be walking around going, "I am hunting you. I am hunting you. I have found you." <laughs> <laughs> Which is more creepy to me. <laughs> <laughs> they should have definitely left that in as like a cheat or something. <laughs> Another feature of the game, uh, if you're insane, is that you can turn the microphone on, like on in your controller in the PS4, or like in your Kinect if you had one, or just your general PC one. And if it's on, then the alien can hear you yourself. So if you make a loud noise, it will come and look at you. Um, yeah. and this feature, I guess, is fine if you live alone. The only time I've uh, I've heard of it being used, a friend of mine uh, played it uh, with that mode on, uh, and he was playing it on like a um, like a projector screen, so it's called quite a big screen. And uh, he was hiding from the alien. Uh, his housemate walked in, um, saw it on the screen, uh, screamed with fright, <laughs> and then the alien turned around and killed him. And uh, they never went back to playing the game ever again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I could never have the microphone on because what would happen is that I'd be playing it, keeping very quiet, and then Ash would burst in from the other (laughs) room and I'd be dead. (laughs) Yeah, the alien is very scary. And like the the first time you encounter it, really, um, it, it kills a bunch of people in a room in a giant room that you're in mm. and it starts stalking you as well. And there's not much cover in there and you don't have any weapons or anything. The weapons in the game don't do anything. Like they do not affect the alien in any way, but like having them is strangely comforting. Right. Um, and I remember the first time I played it, I was like, I'd, I'd heard it stalking off and stuff. And I, I, I had a clear run to the door and I was like, right, I'm going it, to, it's gone. It's the other side of the room. I haven't heard it for a while. I'm going to, I'm going to run to the door and get through the door and it won't get me. And literally as I was just about to do it, 
its tail flopped down in front of me <laughs> and it was mm-hmm. it was standing on the other side of the planter <laughs> that i was hiding behind <laughs> and i just hadn't heard it because it had stalked up quietly and i'm like oh my god <laughs> um so yeah it, it is pretty terrifying but but weirdly you can come to regard it as a sort of pet later in the game because right. um there are three sorts of enemies you'll encounter in the game, uh, one of which is other humans who are all desperate to try and get off the station and will kill you pretty much on sight. Um, but they're firing their guns will attract the alien. So if you're being shot at by somebody, one of the best tactics to do is just hide and wait for your friend, the alien, to turn up, maul them to death, and then <laughs> then you'll be like, you'll be like, thanks, bud, uh, but like really quiet because otherwise he'll kill you. Um <laughs> <laughs> um i had another experience like that while playing it for the first time where um uh, i thought the alien had um had was very far away um and uh i was i was like jogging quickly back to a save point and uh, like i i turned into a door and the door slid open it was just standing behind the door and i was like ah <laughs> I'm not going to be able to close this door fast enough, am I? And I was like, no. <laughs> um, it, it is telling something for the game that you do try and run in that situation, but you can't run. <laughs> I've, I've, I've tried everything. You dive into a vent and it drags you out by your feet. <laughs> um, I have played it in VR, actually, as well. Um, and I played it for about... Four minutes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say th- this seems like it would pose several problems for you. <laughs> so you you famously get motion sick. Yeah, very very bad, very bad motion sick. Um, uh, I played Elite Dangerous in VR once uh, for ten seconds because I did a barrel roll and then I made myself physically sick. Mm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the alien particularly scary <laughs> in VR. Yeah. It also just seems like it would be very stressful. I've I've mm. been kind of wanting to play Resident Evil Seven, which apparently has a good VR mode. But yeah, for similar reasons, I I really need to be in the right mood to do that because, uh, yeah, when you're in VR, you're very much locked into that mm. ecosystem. Mm. You're you're committed to that, and so there's not many situations where I think to myself, you know what, I would like to be severely stressed out for the next <laughs> couple of hours. Uh, the the other enemy in the game, because I, I was wondering when they released it how they were going to bulk it out, because, like, you know, you can't be up against the alien constantly every couple of minutes because it will lose its horror, right? I mean, it'll, right. just, it'll just be like an annoying pest quite quickly. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing in the game that they've added are creepy androids um, called Working Joes uh, that are obviously Siegson has been trying to copy Wayland Yutani's human-like androids without much success. So they right. uh, they just have a creepy blank face and they all talk with the same voice, right? Um, and and they will kill you on sight as well because they've been all, they've got mysterious orders to do that. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Oh, <laughs> Again, one of my favorite moments of playing this game was, um, so I'm in a vent walk- watching one of these androids walking around, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got my motion tracker that will tell me, you know, where the alien is. And I'm, I'm stuck in like one big section of the map that's all sort of interconnected. And this android is walking around like doing maintenance on things. 
So I, crucially, I can't tell which of the dots on the motion tracker is the android and which is the alien. Um, and I was like, right, okay, I'm going to deal with this android. I'm going to get it out of the way so that I can um, like track only the alien. I won't be confused. This seems like a great idea to me. Mm-hmm. So I stepped out of the vent and I was like, you can't shoot the androids because it kills them very quickly. But the noise of the gunshot will summon the alien almost immediately. Yeah. And uh, you don't have enough time to not get lunched. Right. So I was like, right, I'll flamethrower him. I've got a flamethrower. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I stepped out of the vent and I, I, I flamethrowered this android and he slowly turned around to face me and he said, um, I have been designed to withstand temperatures of up to 3000 degrees Celsius. And he pulled my head off. <laughs> uh, the, the horror comedy of it was just absurd. I loved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's a, uh, that's finally all I have to say about Alien Isolation. I, I know we went on a bit, but it is it is a great game. If you can pick it up, play it. I mean, it's it's pretty cheap now. I think it was on sale for like a pound, like not too long ago. Yeah, very gettable as a game now. Mm. But also a bit spoopy. So, does this take us to the the reason that we are gathered here today? Um. Yes, and indeed, no. So, normally here we introduce the game with the bells, but you know what? You, you, you know how it works. We ring the bell if something bad happens. If we get frightened, or um, if one of us says today's secret swear word, we ring the bell. That, that's the rules, definitely. So, uh, if for some reason you are joining us uh, on this episode, episode, what, where are we, 10? This is episode 10, which if you take into account the... Uh, 10 episodes of the previous season and this one you would be 20 episodes in um learning learning this part of the podcast mechanic for the first time um so stop it (laughs) but if you are if you're just (laughs) maybe curious about this podcast and you want to um check out the latest and presumably best episode of it uh, and you've come in now uh then Tough luck. You can just guess what the reason we <laughs> ring the bell is at this point. Uh, if if that is genuinely what you are doing, uh, let us know if you figure it out. <laughs> I was going to say, assuming this is the latest and best episode is a bold assumption. Oh, yeah. Um, so you asked me in the precedent episode, uh, where are the alien costumes now? And I was totally blindsided by that. I didn't have a fucking clue. Yeah. Um, and that was a, it was kind of a fun little detective adventure figuring that out. Um, how did you do? Uh, okay. So, um, I can't track them all down because they weren't really, they aren't really differentiated. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there are three costumes and they, they all went to different places. But um, one of them went on sale in 2007 and sold for... How much do you think it went sold for? Uh, I'm going to say $150,000. That's pretty close. $126,500. One of them is on permanent display in the Giga Museum in Gruyere. And it was briefly on loan to the Deutsche Film Institute Film Museum in Frankfurt. That's a lot of Fs. One of them is indeed at Mopop, which is formerly known as the EMP in Seattle, and I do have a picture of me with it. <laughs> um, and uh, one, uh, so that's three, but one sold recently at auction. Gasp, a fourth one. Um, and it was one of the translucent prototypes that we mentioned last time. 
um, that they they uh, it is in a fair state. It doesn't it doesn't look brilliant. Like um, the <laughs> the ass is missing where the tail would attach, but they didn't. They either didn't mold the tail or it didn't go on, and a lot of the rubber on the um, the chest sort of areas perished as well. Um, but still you, crawling with maggots. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> But a, an, an absolutely priceless um, thing, you know, a prop thing, if you were interested in the movie. Mm. Uh, it, it ended up selling for about $60,000. Um, okay. Uh, it's interesting that it's lower than one of the screen-used suits, but I guess, you know, it just maybe it doesn't have the same appeal as something that's literally seen on screen in mm. the movie. I, I've got this sort of private theory about buying props from films and TV shows, right? And that if if it's it's worth doing if if like so you show it to someone and you don't have to explain what it is for more than a minute. Right. <laughs> right. So if they see it and they go, is that the alien from Alien? And you go, yes, then great. But if they see it and you go, they go, what's that? And you go, it's the bulkhead ladder from Deck C of the Nostromo in Alien. Uh, that's pushing <laughs> Yeah, and, if you if you do a prop and you're like, oh, this is Mr. Fusion from Back to yes. the Future, that's fair enough. If you're like, this is the same machine that was used as a very background prop in Alien, <laughs> then, yeah, it doesn't quite fly in the same way, does it? No, no, and, uh, and you know, it does sort of sound like showing off, but, like, you, you do want the things that people recognise from stuff. I, I actually... Um, do you remember the movie Sunshine? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, so a lot of the production happened here in England, and they sold a whole bunch of the props from it on eBay afterwards. Uh, I think they were for charity, I can't remember. And um, I almost ended up with two, and I was snipe-bidded at the last moment, which wow. made me pretty sad. And the two I was bidding on were um, a... Uh, there's a bit where one of the characters gets trapped in an air, runs into an airlock just after he's been stabbed, and he pulls the airlock handle to shut it behind him, and it's all covered in blood. And like it was that airlock handle. Ah, right. And I was like, I was like, wow, because that's that's recognizable. That's like a that's what they call a hero prop. Like it's a thing they've interacted with. Like it's got yeah. some screens, like some f- on in focus screen time. I was sort of really excited, but uh, you know, like I lost it last minute. And the other one. Uh, sort of more weirdly, there's a bit where one of the characters freezes to death in the vacuum of space, okay. um, and they sold his corpse. Uh, <laughs> and I, I sort of bidded on it as a joke, um, but then I was like, well, maybe I could have it. And then I, after a while, I was like, what would I do with this? Where will I put it? Yeah, where would you put it? <laughs> You'd have to sleep with it. <laughs> Um, no, I'd put it in the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> I'd put it in the bath, I think. Uh, <laughs> just to just to raise the number of questions I get asked. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Imagine, like, just forgetting you'd done that and then having guests around. Oh, God. <laughs> well, it's, it's like those people who own standees, I guess. Um, yeah. Because, you know, your brain goes, oh, there's a full-size human being there. And... Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Christ, here we go. Six hours in, we're, we're going to start talking about Alien. Great. Fantastic. Uh, last time, you said, who's infected? Uh, and you said, 
nobody. Because <laughs> ship, I guess the ship. You said the ship. Uh, what happens next? You said there's a misdirection. Dallas isn't going to die next, so it's going to be Lambert or Parker or both of them. Uh, so I'm. We'll we'll get into it a bit during this uh, next segment, but I'm still not ready to say that Dallas is a goner just mm-hmm. yet. Um, I don't exactly remember what happens next, or if I'm getting it confused with a uh, the next film, which is entirely possible as well. Mm. But I feel like we encounter Dallas again in the future. So mm. I, so it may still be that one of those two or both of them are the next to get killed. That's an interesting memory of yours that we'll have to address later. Mm. Well, um, all right, that aside, let's start watching Alien. Okay, so we're going to be covering one hour and 12 minutes to one hour and 20 minutes of Alien. As always, not a watch-along podcast. You should have seen the movie by now. I know who you are. I'm taking your names. You're not on my Christmas card list anymore. Um, I'm going to read out some action points, which are a little bulleted point that summarizes some action on the screen of some time. And if we want to talk about it, we will. Um, so let's get started. Dallas continues to crawl through the vents, accompanied by beeping. Now, just immediately, this looks very uncomfortable to me. It it seems like it would be hell on your knees, which is, I guess, the sort of thing that I now think about as... I approach my forties. <laughs> like, oh, that just oh, um, that's gonna hurt for a couple of days afterwards. You think you think Tom Skerritt has knee pads on under his jeans, or uh... <laughs> I'm not sure if we mentioned it before, but Harrison Ford actually turned down the role of Dallas. Um, mm. The tight production budget only let them build uh, a single thirty foot long tube for this vent sequence with a T junction at the end, uh, and. Ridley Scott and Derek Van Lint constantly had to keep changing the lights and angles to make it look like there's more of the vent system than in fact there is. Uh, so here you're seeing pretty much all of it. Yeah, I think it works fine. It didn't didn't read that way to me. So Yeah, no, it, it, they, they did a really good job. You can't tell that it's only one tube shot from a number of different angles. It's quite common, really, isn't it, to mm. reuse a, a, a space yeah. to make it seem like, like it's more than it is. Mm. In, in films. Oh, I'm I know. always kind of fascinated when that comes up. I know they try and do it less now because, uh, especially in low-budget sci-fi, there is a tendency to have someone walk down a corridor and then walk down the same corridor from a different angle, and you're like, <laughs> get two corridors, losers. Um, <laughs> Dallas has the crew open a hatch, and he crawls inside. So these scenes are lit only by the flamethrower itself. Uh, so here and in some of the other flamethrower scenes later, Derek Van Lint, the cinematographer, um, had to keep the actors moving the flamethrowers closer to their faces to get them correctly lit by the pilot light. Mm. Uh, which he said they they weren't that keen on, but you know they uh, <laughs> they did their jobs. <laughs> yeah. Lambert sees the alien on the tracker and guides Dallas towards it. Uh, and quite a lot of times during this next number of shots, we get a quick look back at Ash watching mm. uh, during this whole segment. And again, he's 
He's got a odd look on his face. He's he's almost he's not quite smiling, but he's almost smiling. There's a kind of a fascinated look on his face. He, he, yeah, I, I would say he he sort of uh, it's an I I know something you don't know look. Uh. Yeah, he wants to know what the alien will do. I don't mm. think that he expects this to end well for Dallas. No, but he doesn't seem to mind. He's just interested. Dallas reaches the junction where Lambert said she saw the alien and test fires his flamethrower down there. Um, so Ridley Scott and one of the camera technicians were very nervous in this scene as they're in the tube with him, filming him, and he has to sweep the active flamethrower past them. Uh, and if he accidentally wow. pressed the firing stud, they would have been barbecued alive. Uh, <laughs> fortunately, that didn't happen. Dallas climbs down and looks around as Lambert loses the alien's position. So a, a lot of people have a go at Lambert, but it's really hard to read anything on that motion tracker screen. Whenever it cuts back to it, I have no idea what it's supposed to be showing. Mm. So I don't feel like you should be harsh on Lambert for losing the alien's position. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not harsh on her at this moment uh, because I feel like um, that's fair enough. It might be that the at this moment in time the alien is just very, very still. That's mm. how I kind of interpreted this moment, mm. is that uh, the alien knows that it's being tracked in some way, has figured it out that it's being tracked in some way, and is uh, remaining still in order to lure them closer in some it... way. Or confuse them. Uh, in the script, they're actually um, just one level apart from each other. And there's like a mesh flooring separating them and the alien sort of reaches up and gently strokes his boot through it, but he doesn't notice. Mm. Uh, which was creepy, but they, they didn't shoot it in the end. So, uh... Yeah. Um, I think this is uh, this works better. You just don't mm. know where the alien is in this moment. It's quite, it's quite, uh, quite tense. Uh, Dallas accidentally puts his hand in some slime and looks down at it curiously. Uh, so this is the same goo we've seen our alien friend making before. If only Dallas knew about it. Um, mm -hmm. um, he, he doesn't seem to be expecting it, so uh, maybe he knows he's in terrible danger? Who knows? We seem to suspect it in the last part anyway. Mm. Dallas looks around in confusion. Then the alien reappears on the tracker, moving right towards him. So I feel like, at this point... Lambert could have given him like a direction, maybe mm. that that's what that that's my takeaway from this. Uh, she says it's coming straight towards you, and then has quite a lot of time. It looks like to say or figure out what direction that's coming from, and uh, he just kind of hangs around there. Mm. Um, and she eventually does tell him to move, but. There's a, a very kind of lengthy pause that I guess we'll get to in the next section, which I I think that moment could have possibly been hand, <laughs> handled a bit better. That That's my takeaway from it. I don't know. I mean, it does seem like um, if something is stationary on that thing, uh, it's really hard to tell what the other dot is doing in relation to it. So if he had moved, maybe she would have been able to say, no, you're going towards it more. Go the other way. Uh, I think just the fact that he's stationary and it's moving is what's causing the confusion. Mm. Maybe it's harder to um, 
interpret than I thought, but I I guess the way that it moves when it starts moving, I I figured that she would be able to say, oh, it's coming from mm. blah direction. Um, but maybe it maybe it's more complicated than that. But it just felt like there's a there's a big gap where it's still a decent distance away where mm. he could have started moving earlier. So um, wh- when are we making this as a uh, as an async uh, co-op game? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Vent Guider. <laughs> um, we've actually sort of been beaten to the punch by Alien Isolation itself, which um, has a, um, a-, a DLC pack called Crew Expendable, which places you on the Nostromo um, <laughs> a- as either Ripley or Dallas while the events of Alien are unfolding. Oh. And uh, one of the things you can do is go into the vents uh, with Lambert guiding you. And do you know what? I've never completed that section of the game because <laughs> the alien always gets you. <laughs> I'm like, um, I feel like you are able to complete it. I don't think that I don't think Lambert is giving you the best advice. <laughs> Even today, Lambert just letting you down. <laughs> oh God. Lambert panically begs him to move, and he climbs down a ladder. Dallas swings his lamp to and fro, and as it turns, the alien springs its arms wide. This this has always struck me like you know it's it's attacking him, but it's always struck me as weird because it just looks like it wants a hug. Um, does a bit, doesn't it? Like like that's what I would do when I was five and I wanted a hug, <laughs> and people were just as scared. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> so this death went back and forth uh, quite a few times as well during the production. Uh, so you're calling it a death? Um. <laughs> um, yeah, well, we'll get to it. Like, yeah. um, they, Dallas is just missing. I think, I think we should mark him down as MIA for now. Yeah, okay. Uh, but this eventuality went back and forth a few times in the production. Um, originally, this set was supposed to be like a giant wind tunnel with fans at the end. And he'd turn this way and the alien would run down the walls and grab him. Uh, but that was much too expensive to film at this point. So mm-hmm. they, they had to go with the, the, you know, the 30 meter long tunnel they already had, um, which presented them with extra problems because um, Balahi Badeo in the alien costume was too big <laughs> to fit into the yeah. fit, fit into it. So what you're seeing there is a five foot stunt man in a smaller alien costume <laughs> grabbing Dallas. So that that's why this scene like it has it has the surprise, but like not as much of the motion as you would expect. Because like um, right. it, it does look like he's just giving him a hug, but the guy really is just kind of stuck there. Yeah. <laughs> um Dallas cuts to static and white noise. Um so again this is kind of iconic and has become reused in alien isolation. Every time you die, you hear the alien scream and then it fades to static, which sort of squeals and fades out exactly like Dallas's death. Right. Uh, which was a really nice touch. I, I, I liked it. The crew cry out for him looking devastated. We cut to Parker slamming a flamethrower on the table. They found it, but not Dallas. So yeah, as we just mentioned, he's missing. They found no blood. So uh, what happened to him? Yeah. So what I um, 
what I'm remembering uh, and what's making me just hesitate for a moment before saying that he's definitely dead at this point um, is, and I don't know whether this is something that only comes up in the second film. I know that they do sometimes just kind of capture people. Mm. And uh, I know this definitely is a thing in the second film. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I know it definitely happens in the second film uh, a bit, but I don't know whether it happens at all in the first film. So I think there's a possibility that at some point we're going to find him uh, kind of captured mm. uh, and maybe uh, Ripley is going to have to put the flamethrower to him or something because it's kind of a lost cause situation. Uh, do you want to know what happens or do you want to wait and see? I want to wait and see because right. I, I, I'm interested to know whether I've got this completely mixed up with the next mm. film or whether I've got, got aspects of it mixed up yeah, or whether something like this does happen. It's not as straightforward as you think, but I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to mention it when, mm-hmm. uh, when the time comes. Okay. Um, yeah, let's, uh, let's just wait and see what happens with that. Ripley's in command now and thinks that they should carry on with Dallas's plan. Lambert cries in panic. She wants to use the lifeboat to evacuate, but it won't hold all four of them. And I, I think actually Lambert has a good plan here. I kind of understand mm. why uh, Lambert here is saying, let's just use use the lifeboat, let's just draw straws, then at least some of us will yeah. get out. But I also uh, understand why the others are reluctant to go for that. Mm. I In this situation, I wouldn't want to be the person who randomly ends up with the short straw. <laughs> Yeah, it would be a real bummer, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I got a note here. It's a, a bit of a useless lifeboat if it can't hold all of the crew. Um, but yeah. may, maybe we come to appreciate that the company doesn't really give a shit for human life. Uh- <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it is a bit of a bad lifeboat, but very on brand, I guess. Mm. Um, the you sort of get the gist that the lifeboat feature is not its primary feature, that maybe it's just for, you know, ship to surface travel um, mm. or like going between the ship and space stations and things like that. But yeah. um, in an emergency, because it's a self-contained unit, you can escape in it. I did read somewhere that the Nostromo was supposed to have two shuttles, but for some reason it now only has one, but it never comes up in the film. So, um <laughs> Nobody, nobody at this point goes, ah, oh, darn it, if only we had the second slightly larger shuttle as well. Right. Um, Ripley shouts Parker down. Um, so, uh, Yafakoto had actually been annoying Sigourney Weaver offset on purpose um, because Ridley Scott told him to, uh, to sort of play little pranks on her and cut her off when she was speaking and stuff like that so that there'd be tension between their characters. I think you mentioned this before. Yeah. yeah. Very... <laughs> I don't know how I feel about it, but, but I guess it worked. 
yeah, he says it worked, but um, but he really regretted it because like he loved working with her, mm. and uh, he spent a significant portion of each day just sort of kind of pissing her off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Yafakota was also annoying Ridley Scott, like not on purpose. Um, because uh, as the movie went on, he had second thoughts about you know his character's death, and he he kept coming up with ideas of ways that he could survive. Um, right. and, and presenting them to Ridley Scott to the point where Ridley Scott would arrive via a different door in order to avoid him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, well, let, let's see if he gets his wish. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I don't remember the, the scene where that character survives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was, he was like, no, I'm, I'm going to kill it. I'm going to kill the alien. And Ridley Scott was like, just... Uh, just do the script. <laughs> Lifeboat like goes into the distance, and we see him clinging to the <laughs> outside of the hull. It's got his teeth in it. Yeah. Um, uh, Ripley asks Parker to refill the flamethrowers, and he doesn't want Ash's help to do it. So that's interesting. So he does he just not trust Ash, or is he still just sort of just being a little bit of a dick to him? Um, Maybe both. Honestly, yeah, or uh, indeed he's, both. he's clearly not liked and he's not covered himself in reasons to be liked mm. in, uh, with his conduct in the <laughs> in in the last few scenes, I guess. And hashtag Kane's son. Um. <laughs> and we're about to get another weird moment as well with that. Um, yeah, Ripley asks Ash for suggestions and he says they're still collating data. Uh, does anybody believe that at this point? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's well, we, we're about to get into the reaction, mm. uh, which I think is a very good one because uh, it's it's a ridiculous thing to say in the current situation. Uh, Ripley snorts in disbelief and reveals she's got access to Mother now and will get her own answers. Mm. Ash leaves. So it's interesting that the instant she says that he fucks off. <laughs> yeah, um, he's. Uh, but even just generally, mm. the way that he's been acting very recently, as everything's going to complete shit, is calm to the point that it, it's just definitely creepy now. Mm. Yeah, uh, it, it should be like a, a strobing siren to everyone else that he's mm -hmm. got something else going on. Yeah. And I think we're going to get that resolved fairly quickly. Mm. Um, we get a quick scene of Parker going to refill the flamethrower, then Ripley doing the security dance to get into Mother. Um, the shot of Parker refilling the flamethrower isn't in the director's cut. He just goes and does it. Uh, you don't see him doing it. I guess it's not that necessary to see this but it's kind of it, it's not just nice to see a shot of him being quite panicked mm, yeah he's uh, <laughs> he's pretty jumpy yeah ripley sits down in the egg-like chamber and starts the interface mother says she can't explain why the science division can't help kill the alien because of special order 937 Ooh. that's that's already pretty ominous it is Ripley uses a command override to see what Special Order 937 is, and it appears on the screen. Just a, sorry, just a quick note on this. I guess it's nice to have a scene where an override 
to a command actually works because it feels <laughs> like the usual thing to happen here is that for some bullshit reason they can't override it. <laughs> I, I you get the impression that she's only been granted this command override now because uh, all the higher ranking members of crew are dead or missing <laughs> or missing. Um, so. Ripley uses a command override to see what Special Order 937 is, and it appears on the screen. Nostromo rerouted to new coordinates. Investigate life form. Gather specimen. So I guess at this moment we get confirmation of what we suspected, which is that Ash knew a bit more about the mission than he'd revealed. I think it was getting it was becoming pretty obvious that he had something mm. else going on just from the way that he's behaving, but this is uh, almost a relief moment. Yes, he did seem weird. I I wasn't just being paranoid. <laughs> he he definitely has an agenda here that we haven't that hasn't been revealed to us. And indeed, um, we didn't mention it, but Special Order Nine Three Seven is science officers' eyes only. So uh, Dallas and Kane had no idea of this. Just Ash mm. until they used the Ripley used the override. Is it? Interesting that it will tell you that these orders exist, uh, but not reveal to you what they are. <laughs> mm. um, the next part appears on the screen. Priority one, ensure return of organism for analysis. And here we get our worst eight minute cut ever, because it's literally in the middle of a line of text. Um, there's... There's there's a real stinger <laughs> to to special order nine three seven and it's not in this episode. <laughs> yeah, I feel like um, it would have been nice if we'd just got a couple more seconds on this, but I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll allow it just in that I feel like this next moment that's going to happen neatly caps off the action that we've just seen. Mm. Uh, so it's a couple of seconds out, but it's close, mm. close enough. So, um, so who who's infected then? Um, you, you sticking with with nobody? The ship itself? The, is this question well, even relevant? <laughs> if if Dallas is indeed still alive, could be effect, infected with something at this point. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm just going to say the ship for now. I, I'm going to say I've, I've put Dallas down with question marks. Hmm. Uh, what happens next, Peter? Uh, so I think what we're going to see is that the uh, the elaboration on these orders is that basically this is a kind of at any and all costs sort of order. That so the reason that Ash has been behaving in this sort of way is that his orders, his priority is to get this uh, organism back at any cost to the life of the crew. It's not as important as getting uh, this organism back. Mm. And uh, I don't remember what the exact wording of that is going to be, but it, it's going to be a message to that end. And um, and, and that, that, of course, leads into the question, who dies next? Um, I think it might be parker's time right you think uh, all that all that wandering off to refuel flamethrowers might not be great for his health yeah i mean he's on his own uh he's 
isolated, just like that game. Um, He's alien colon isolation. And yes, <laughs> alien colon isolation is a different game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> we're not legally allowed to talk about it. <laughs> so yes, I but I believe that his time might be up at this point. All right, I'm gonna call it. So what are you uh, what are you thinking of the film so far? How does this eight minutes add to your or subtract even from your enjoyment of? The film, yeah. So I, I uh, get the idea that this is quite a uh, iconic scene with the tracker and in the vents and and mm. stuff like this. And uh, to be fair, there's not many scenes that aren't really considered iconic in <laughs> in this film at this point. But I, I do kind of get the feeling that this is particularly one that mm. is considered in this way. And yet, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, it's not one that I have strong memories about mm. uh, at this part. In the film, I'm still enjoying it, but I, I think what I said a couple of episodes ago is true. That while I am enjoying all of these parts of it, the bit that really feels just kind of masterfully done to me is the bits that we've seen before this. The bits leading up to the kind of uh, uh, the the chest bursting scene uh, are the bits that I feel like elevate this film to something more than it might have been and hmm. the rest of the film uh, I, I think to me is more just kind of an enjoyable um, horror romp <laughs> yeah. uh, and the, there's nothing wrong with that it's just that I, I think we, that we've seen the the bits of the film that I'm most impressed by already. Mm. Yeah, I mean, um, the whole face hugger chest burster thing is, you know, iconic. <laughs> what, what the yeah, word I is mean, there? if if there's any uh, if, if there's any scene in this that could be called iconic uh, above anything else, it's got to be that mm. th- that one. That that one, I feel like even people, even a lot of people who haven't seen the film, know about that moment. Yeah. It, it does make it harder to rewatch uh, classic movies, I guess. Well, I mean, so imagine if you're coming into it for the first time. This scene has been parodied a thousand times and talked about a million times. So um, yeah, if it must seen... be very difficult to see this film fresh. If you've seen Spaceballs, you've seen this scene. <laughs> <laughs> With uh, some of the same actors. Um, yes. <laughs> John Hurt is back. I heard uh, that um, he didn't realise quite how a recreation of that it was going to be and, <laughs> and would have asked for more money if it realised just how <laughs> how much it would have been so oh maybe. god <laughs> oh, that, oh no not again line <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't order the special um, I um, saw that before I saw Alien so <laughs> <laughs> oh that must have been an exciting and confusing moment. Yeah, very surprising. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> uh, okay, so if any of you out there have any questions, particularly why is the length of this podcast seemingly doubled over the last few episodes? Yeah, when, we're hoping when to... will you get it? When will you get an editor? Are you ever planning to stay on topic? <laughs> uh, we're hoping to double the length every time so that uh, eventually. Uh, before too long, 
it, we're just going to be streaming it live twenty four seven forever. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. If you if you have any questions or comments or like complaints, if you really want us to stop. Uh, email us at podcast at eightminutemovies.co.uk and we will observe those emails with our eyes um, and then possibly discuss them. But what, Kieran, what if they don't want to email this impersonal um, address? They instead want to stalk us directly in person on the internet in some fashion. How can they find you? I guess I guess you could just call me. My telephone number is oh seven eight. Oh, the internet. Oh, okay. Internet, uh, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Sorry, I misunderstood. Yeah, don't um, dox yourself. Oh, okay. Um, I can be found on Twitter at Kieran J Walsh, and you can be found on Twitter at Kestrel Pie. That's Kestrel like the bird and pie like the food. No, like the without the number. e. <laughs> Like the irrational number, um, it's an anagram of my real name. Pi, pi is a transcendental number, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I think it's a pretty good number. I wouldn't necessarily describe it as <laughs> transcendental. Um, if you think pi is transcendental, email us. Why not? Uh, <laughs> if you if you know anything about pi, uh, the food stuff or the mathematical concept, let us know, um, and we will respect you as a person for it. If you work with Audible, get in touch. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, if, you, if you work with Audible, uh, write me a check, and just keep adding zeros at the end, and I'll tell you when to stop, okay? <laughs> um, put, a, put a number that's not zero at the start as well. That's, that's very important. <laughs> um, and... Oh, I think that brings us nicely to our first ever two-hour podcast. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. good, good, goodbye, everybody. Good God, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.